have reached the halftime mark of this year. This is the June episode of the International Voices podcast. I'm your host and moderator, Udo Fluck, and I have the honor to oversee the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula. We kicked off a three-part series last month titled Creativity During COVID, which featured Dennis Koslu, a Missoula-born stage and film actor living in Vienna, Austria. To listen to the May episode and others going back to February of 2020, please visit artsmissoula.org, click on Global and Cultural Affairs, and visit Radio and Podcasts. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and The Trail, 1033. My guest for this June 2021 podcast is Native American artist and environmental researcher Willow Kipp. Her art is visible in Missoula and in many other locations, including overseas. She has had an interesting journey as an artist that started with traditional Native dance, designing her own patterns for Native American dance regalia. Her interest in beadwork, her talent in creating ledger art and large-scale murals, and her research and interest in environmental issues. As Willow understands that becoming well-informed about Native American and environmental policies is essential to be a successful advocate for her community. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Willow Kipp to International Voices. Willow, can you tell us about your tribal affiliation and your academic background a little bit before we get started? Yeah, yeah. So my name is Willow Kipp. Um, I come from the Shoshone Bannock and Blackfeet Nations. I'm an enrolled member of the Shoshone Bannock Nations, which is located in Fort Hall, Idaho. And the Blackfeet Nation is located in Browning, Montana, um, next to the Canadian border. I graduated from University of Montana in 2018 with my Bachelor's of Arts in Native American Studies and Environmental Studies. Currently, I am a student at II, which is the Institute of American Indian Arts out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. How and when did you get interested in art? Ooh, that's a great question. I think, honestly, it hasn't been until recently that I really started identifying as an artist and or noticing that my family members have been are artists as well um, that I actually come from a really long line of artists and artistry it's it's really I think that just but it's always been there and that's something that I think because being artistic and having these different outlets to be creative have always been a part of my life from a really young age, um, starting with, well, I'm a dancer, first of all. I've danced um, fancy shawl since, oh, geez, since I could walk. <laughs> and wow. um, my earliest memories of dancing have, you know, come from, have always been there. My mom's a dancer. Um, my mom's mom is a dancer. And um, in the powwow world, I should say, and when I mean dancing, I mean at powwows, sure. which sure. are powwows, you know, they happen all over the country. And recently they've even started to spread outside of the country, like Hawaii. I want to make it to one day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the so like I said, I've been dancing ever since I can remember. And so that's one one area that's spread out to like physical movement. But in order for me to dance, my mom has been a really great seamstress growing up. She, um, you know, used to make our outfits for for me and her and for other people would hire her to make theirs as well. And she 
just always done that because we used to live in Fort Hall, Idaho, um, on the Shoshone Bannock Indian Reservation. And that's where um, I grew up until I was 17. And so she still is to this day really well known in the community for making dance outfits and dance regalia. And people just like her work. And so they'll, they would hire her to make stuff. And so I grew up with that. Our living room easily became the the sewing room. Um, we used to have walls of material and sewing machines sure. everywhere. I used to tease her that I grew up in a sweatshop, but um, <laughs> you know, I was just joking. <laughs> really, sure. I was learning though. Sure. And I, I learned, I was learning, I learned, you know, from a really young age sewing. Um, I remember making designs when I was little. And I think this is where my like designing and pattern pattern making really came into um came into play was just from that young age like wanting to create my own designs for my outfits and wanting to create my own style and I remember my mom telling me like this wouldn't work you have to make it three-dimensional and I didn't know what that meant until I tried actually making something myself and then I was like oh that's why you have to draw in two dimensions or three dimensions because that way you can see how the actual layout's going to be you can't just use a line and expect it to turn out how you imagine it and right. so I really had to learn a lot a lot through that um, just sketching out my ideas and then putting them to creation real life creations um, at a young age geez I think I made my first outfit when I was probably around 12 years old my mom came home and I had some of her really really expensive material like $30 a yard material <laughs> all spread out on the floor and cut into uh, pieces and she she didn't know what to do she's like I paid so much for that material but um you know because I just had an expensive sure. I have expensive taste <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but um yeah and so that's it started there and then just so would you say years, through through the dancing and the the outfit making you were then inspired to draw and to express yourself that way as well would that be correct to say that it started with the costume design and the elements that you put in a design and that got you interested then more in the drawing itself yeah yeah i think that's yeah you're pretty you're accurate to say that that was my inspiration um one thing i do i have always have always you know really tried to um, educate and preach though. And I should have mentioned this earlier is with, like I said, cause I'm a dancer and I made my own regalia and outfits. Um, it's really important to say regalia and outfits because, you know, a lot of times people in the outside, in the mainstream think that because it's uh, powwows, you know, that they're costumes that we wear costumes and in a lot of other um, areas, people do wear costumes, but, Really, you know, because they're such a big cultural item for Indian people all across Indian country, you know, costumes, it's kind of right. like a, it turns into a mockery and we, and to stay away from that, you know, costumes are worn during Halloween. And so, um, yeah, I really try to, you know, to let people know that to say that the correct terminology, which is regalia or um, outfits, dance outfits. Okay. And so, but yeah, that's. You're, you're spot on with um, my inspiration coming from that and being, that's where I learned to have an eye for pattern making and really super important, um, the, the different styles of designs. I, for, at a young, like when I was younger, I would be able to tell at powwows where a person was from tribally, um, based on their beadwork or based on their designs on their outfit, because, you know, tribes, we don't have this, we're not in the same regions and different regions have different designs and different styles, different color usages and different, um, just different looks to their, to their designs and what they use. And so um, I was always looking at people's beadworks and designs and saying, oh, well, they're, they're crow or, oh, they have Cree florals or they're Ojibwe. They have Ojibwe florals on their outfit or they have Shoshone designs on their beadwork. Um, you can actually communicate and tell people where you're from without ever saying a word. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, 
something super unique about Indian country and just speaks to how many different tribes are here in the in the United States. Um, right. I love being able to see, you know, all the different tribes and their designs. And then me, because I am Shoshone Bannock and I am Blackfeet, you know, I stick to, I try to really stick to my designs and uh, my tribal, you know, tribally specific in that way, because I take pride in letting people know where I'm from. And so I really try to incorporate my styles into my work. So ledger art for me, I guess I can start back with my f- the very first person, and this is before I even knew the term of ledger art. I knew what ledger art was. Um, I was looking for horse designs for my beadwork because I was, you know, I wasn't trying to be an artist, and or I, you know, I didn't think I was, even though I was already creating my own stuff and designing my own. Um, designs and making patterns um, pretty extensively. I was looking at horses for horse design inspiration on Google and I come across Terrence Gardapi's work, who's a pretty well-known Blackfeet artist here um, from the Blackfeet Nation. And I didn't know what ledger art was and I didn't know who Terrence was. And I come across one of his pieces and I really, really liked it. And I was just like, wow, this is beautiful. And I really liked the style of it and everything. And, um, and so I was actually collaborating on my first beadwork with a really good friend of mine. Her name's Kira Marillo and she's out of Fort Hall. Grew up with her like a sister. We traveled everywhere together, but we, I was collaborating with her on my beadwork and she was helping me just like get the layout down. And, um, I was like, I really like this horse, Kira. I was like, this horse is really pretty. And she's like, okay. And then, so like my first beadwork set of dancing beadwork came, was inspired by Terrence Gardepi before I knew who he was. And then afterwards later, um, it was, it's kind of weird. It was like right after that is when I really started to, to, I don't know if Ledger I was just blowing up at that time too, or if I just like opened a door and like all of a sudden I was, all the Ledger art was everywhere. And I was like, wow, this Ledger art, it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. So he was the first, my first inspiration and still he, I think he's an amazing artist. Um, But yeah, I just, I'm trying to think that was probably my first like real introduction of what ledger art is and then after that it just seems like it was everywhere um you know I've come across a lot of really um well-known artists who you know are I kept seeing it in different places and so yeah I just kind of for me though as an artist it was just more so like a phase um you know I I could I feel like I'm pretty pretty transitional where I can I have the ability to be able to phase in and out of different areas just because I have skills in painting um, and drawing now, um, you know, pattern making with regalias, beadwork. Um, I do a little bit of quill work. You know, I just, I, ha- I feel like I have a pretty well-rounded skill set. And so I'm always transitioning um, between those you know, like I'll be really into beading one winter right. and I'll get out a lot of beadwork the next winter. It'll be all about drawing and ledger arts. Um, the next I'll just be on a sewing kick and I'll be making outfits and selling outfits sure. or, and sure. stuff. So it just depends. I know what ledger art is because you told me once about it, but I'm thinking there are probably listeners that uh, don't know what ledger art is. Could you give us a definition um, so that people can understand better what we're talking about? I can tell you what I was told, the story that I was told about what ledger art is, and that basically is um, let's see, ledger art originated. One of its origins, I should say, uh, came comes from I would say early mid. Well, probably all of the 1800s when, um, and, and it could be even earlier too, and, and well into the 1900s. So kind of a long span there. But <laughs> what I remember being told was that ledger art come from um, when the Calvary 
was would was hunting um, individuals, and they, when they would catch individuals, um, they would take them to different camps or based prisons. Um, you know, one of the most famous ones here in Montana is Deer Lodge, where the Deer Lodge prison is. That's an that's the uh, you know really well known spot. But right. there's different agencies, um, you know, different areas all throughout Montana and Canada and all over the U.S. Really, where they would have hold natives and individuals captured um, as you know hold them in those prison areas. And so what. What happened is because like, well, there's a couple different different, there's um, winter counts, which have been in existence for a lot of tribes, mostly plain tribes for a long time. But and those are the ones that are on hide and they they're when they are, they're called winter counts. They recount really important events. Um, but when individuals were captured by the Calvary, this is kind of how the form was practiced. Um, say the, the jailers did had a bunch of scrap papers or, you know, ledgers that they didn't want anymore and that they were just going to get rid of or burn. Um, sometimes the, the people who were being held in there would, were able to get a hold of those, get a hold of those, um, ledgers and they would use those or the scrap papers um but they would use those to to keep account and keep record of you know how long they were in there to tell stories tell their story um kind of like how they do today in prisons when they would when they write letters to their to loved ones and stuff right but right you know it's a lot older form i guess that's <laughs> yeah so it's been a while since i've had to think about that and and tell the history on ledger arts, but that's some of, you know, where it comes But that from. helps. That helps, I Willow, so. to, I think, for people to get an idea of, of what we're talking about, because the term ledger art is, is probably not something that is all that well known. How, how has this, this ledger art shaped you as an artist? Because that was also in your, in your development as an artist that played a critical role, right? I think I'm still really um, doing a lot of, I'm always doing tweaking and developing as an artist. I don't think that ever ends. But, you know, like I, I said earlier, I, I really did go through a ledger phase where I was drawing on a lot of ledgers and those were my starting pieces for just getting into the drawing and actual pattern making realm, I guess. And right. for me, they just, you know, I really liked the way they looked. And for a lot of people, the older the ledger you have, the, the better, um, just because, you know, you want those really old antique sure. ledgers from the 1800s or 1700s if you can get them you know older and and still in good condition that's you know something that a lot of people look for but you know really I just it helped with just me being able to lay down ideas and lay down pattern ideas and prints of what I like to see and I do a lot of geometric I would say I do a lot of geometrics um and I, you know, do a lot of my tribally specific designs that are both Shoshone and Blackfeet. Um, Sometimes, you know, it'll be a mixture of both in one piece. And so just whatever idea is really flowing, right? Like at the moment for me, then I can, those just, you know, help for me to get them down and get them laid out. Um, Whether that be floral or geometrics, then I could just really lay down some ideas. But yeah. Okay. Now, with the financial support of a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts and the enthusiastic permission of the owners and managers of the building at 201 West Broadway, um, which includes the import market, the bodega bar and grill, and the monks bar, the Zach hired four women artists to each create their own morals in the alley between the Zach and the Bodega in downtown Missoula. And you were one of those women. Was there a theme in which the moralists had to create their work? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that interesting project? Yeah, so the mural, pro- the theme was feeling welcome. 
And ah, okay. And so the they really wanted us to have murals to help, you know, really do just that, make everybody feel welcome. And I think that alleys kind of a, like a central area that a lot of people pass through and pass by. Um, so they, they kind of sit in a spot that are going to be seen a lot. Um, so right. yeah, that's, that's the, that was the theme was feeling welcome. And how did you go about creating um, your piece? So for me, that process was, I was really trying to think about ways to incorporate when I create, well, first of all, when I create art, you know, I really want there to be, I really want it to be relevant. I'm really big on trying to either create art with relevance or art, practical art. Um, and so that's, that's something that I'm always trying to do and incorporate into whatever you know wherever whichever realm I'm in and um with my art and then so with the mural though when after after I got notified that I got accepted for that that location and spot area I really had to you know put pen to paper and just sketch out different ideas and sketch out you know, what I thought might look good and what I thought should go up there. Um, right. Something that I, that was really important though for me was because I, at the time I was on a kick with um, working in the native plants garden at the university of Montana with um, Marilyn Marler. And she, she taught me a lot about just the different native plant species around in Missoula that, you know, do a lot of really good stuff for the environment. And so I was, you know, I, that's something that I thought was really important to me and I thought was relevant. And so that's something that I really wanted to incorporate. I was like, okay, well, this is going to be a piece to make people feel welcome. And something they had mentioned, and I can't remember if it was over the phone or through email, but they said that they want visitors to feel like they're welcome. And so to me, that kind of sounded like outsider, you know, traveling people who are traveling through Missoula, um, you know, people who don't have a lot of background information about Missoula, you know, just a quick glance type of thing. And so when I was creating my mural, I was like, okay, what's going to be something that visitors can come here and look at, and it's going to be at a quick glance that they're going to see and think that's important or something, the message we want, I want to get across. Right. And so I was like, well, I want there to be um, the native plants because as many native plant species as they are, as there are in Montana, you know, that has to be something that I incorporate. And then uh, I was like, okay, so that can be my geometrics. And then, um, of course, the indigenous people, you know, the, the indigenous populations in Montana, we have seven federally recognized tribes um, alone, or eight now with Little Shell. But yeah, so we have, you know, a lot of tribes here in Montana that, you know, a lot of people just don't even recognize still are, you know, are really easily overlooked. And so I want the plants and the indigenous people to be recognized. And I want people at a quick glance to realize, Oh, we're in Montana. Like right. these, these two things are here. And so that was what I incorporated in my mural. I have um, mint in there. I have the pink flowers, which are bitter roots. And then um, I have teepees in the background. And then, you know, I, of course I used Mount Jumbo, Mount Sentinel. Right. Oh, wait. Do I have that right? Yeah. The mountains, Missoula mountains. <laughs> right. And right. so, yeah. Now that mural that you just described is in the alley between uh, the Zach and uh, the bodega in downtown Missoula. But I also know that, um, that you are an international artist because in 2019, you created a mural in Missoula sister city, Palmerston North, in New Zealand. What was it like to collaborate with artists halfway around the world? Oh, wow. That was such an awesome experience. And <laughs> as you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that was, I, awesome... I still remember the blessing of the wall. Remember that in the morning? Yeah, it was like probably six o'clock. I don't think many people were awake. And and they did the blessing of the 
of the actual wall that the mural was going on. That's how it started. And I remember that vividly. Yes, that was that was amazing. And, you know, honestly, I keep thinking about back to how they how well they did that and how well they really did everything that, you know, we were a part of. And I agree. Thank you for mentioning that they blessed the mural in the morning, though, because honestly, that's something that I'm also really big on is it's really, really important to to have those early morning or, you know, just any time, you know, before you start something, you should always, you know, just give thanks and right. have that appreciation. Um be known and so i'm really glad that they did that and that was you know a really well-rounded way of doing it and i you know i really do wish to see that or hope to see that more um but yeah that was just that was amazing i loved it and having that chance to interact with with the other artists there that was like at the moment because if you remember, I had two days to get that whole mural done. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was a little bit of time pressure, wasn't there? Just a little. <laughs> Just a little bit. It took me, let's see, uh, a month to get this one done here in Missoula. And that section is like a quarter of the section of the one in New Zealand. And it was amazing and- because we stopped by several times throughout those two days. Yeah. To, to sort of, you know, to, to see you and to see where you were in the process. And I remember how it how it sort of materialized, um, you know, in, in a very short period of time. But there, too, Willow, I wonder if you could describe a little bit because you have the visual uh, and I have the visual in my memory. But but for those listeners that are not familiar um, with that mural in uh, Palmerston North, in our sister city, can you describe what elements you chose and and what it looked like when it was when when you had it all put together? Right. Yeah. So um, let's see. It's it's a mixture of both ledger ledger art horses and Shoshone geometrics. I. I have, it was a, it's a pretty long, I don't know the dimensions, but um, it's a long building wall and it has one, two, three, four horses running across the side from end to end. Right. Um, and they're pretty brightly colored, but the horses, they're not, you know, like the realistic kind of horses. Um, if you're not used to ledger art style, then, you know, it could, they could look pretty cartoonish kind of anime almost, but um, they're ledger art style horses. And the, some of the key qualities on them is they have the lifeline running down the center of the body to show that the animal was living um, two dots at the back end where the kidneys are and a dot over the heart or a circle over the heart um, because that's where the, the heart goes. And so that's just to show that the living or the animal was a living being as well. And so there's just all the different ways to um, signify animals. And that's pretty commonly specific to Blackfeet. Yeah, just Blackfeet style of creation. creation. So, yeah, a lot of our designs, we incorporate those on our animals and just to show, you know, that they were living beings. Right. And the horses, I remember, seem to be running. You, you somehow captured the movement in those horses. So they're, they're basically running across the mural from one end to the other, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last horse has the rider on it. The, that's right. The last horse had the, has the rider on it. And then I remember the bottom of the mural is basically geomet- geometric forms in different colors. Do mm-hmm. I remember that correctly? So the, the yeah. horses appear as though they are moving over those geometric forms one could probably say yeah and yeah you're you're right the the geometrics are um geometric mountain designs so right. in a lot of beadwork or applique they would use those types to signify mountains but you know it's just a fancier way to make mountains more exact and you know kind of um 
dress them up a little bit. And so that's what, you know, geometric mountain designs are. And that's, they can just repeat over and over that same, those same patterns. And so that's what's all along the bottom. And then if you, in the actual sketch, it really does tell us a whole story of like the first rider in the front, he's heading the herd. And when I say heading, I mean like directing where the herd's going. And then there would be like, traditionally or I don't want to say traditionally um there would normally be like two other riders right behind that herd of horses or you know today it's cows if you've ever been on a cattle drive but um cows are you know not really buffalo but yeah there'd be two other horses riders behind them pushing them and then that person in the front is heading the herd directing it where to go where it's where, the, where all those horses are going to go. And so like if you were on a raid and you were stealing horses, you would probably have somebody in front kind of directing where the herd's going and then however many people in the back pushing that herd um, in that direction. And so then they're kind of like running over the mountains. And so you can kind of piece together the story that's being told because um, the name of that mural is called Horse Coup. And so, yeah. Very good. Okay, that I think that helps to... Um, again, um, for the listener to get a better idea of what you actually created in, in Palmerston North. Now, there was also a Maori gentleman that I remember that was there that you were talking to. How, how, what was his involvement? He was a Maori artist, correct? Israel, yeah. Israel, right. Yeah, he was awesome. And him and his friend, they came... Well, she was actually um, just happened to be walking by one day and was like, hey, do you guys need help? And we were like, yes. And so she just (laughs) jumped in and she ended up helping us all both two days because Israel was there all of the first day, but he couldn't be there the second day. And so it really, really did work out because I couldn't have finished it without them. And they were such, they were awesome to work with the entire time. And they had already previous experience to, you know, working with either murals or spray paints. Right. And so I didn't have to, you know, direct them. Like I showed them the layout and I was like, this is what it's, I want it to look like. And here's the, like my blueprint map down here. And we ju- were just able to knock it out. And so that was amazing. And I remember just to, um, to, to make this clear to, to our audience, we're not talking about a small mural by any means. We're talking about a wall that is in downtown Palmerston, North New Zealand, that is easily between 12 and 15 feet tall and easily, I would say, 40 feet long, Willow, or even longer than that? Oh, I'd say it has to be longer, but yeah. (laughs) Probably 60 feet long and and 12 to 15 feet tall. So, and and you did this in two days, which which was really the amazing part of it. And like you said, uh, normally um, it would take an artist uh, much longer to do this. So you really did this very, very quick. And the yeah. result is amazing. Going back to you as an artist and um, the distinct style and unique designs of your tribe, can you please tell us a little bit more about those distinct styles and unique designs of your tribe that you are trying to incorporate into your creative process hmm i um well i'm shoshone bannock and blackfeet and so you know like i previously mentioned my my styles of designing really do come from both both my tribes and i think that i've just been in that mindset for so long that and you know really looking at um looking at it in a way of from my perspective which is Shoshone, Bannock, and Blackfeet you know I really do that's just how I envision and how I create now Um, it's based out of based from who I am you know my my 
me as a person, my parents, my grandparents, um, all of my ancestry, my lineage dating all the way back and, you know, since forever, um, it comes from the lands. And, and that's something that's really key and really important to about um, my tribes is, you know, everything that we are, everything that we create is based off of where we come from. And that's right. this land. And so, you know, in our landscape, what what's our environment like? What's our ecosystems like? What kind of weather conditions are we living in? What's in our surroundings? You know, what types of flowers, what types of mushrooms, what types of mountains are we in the rolling hills? Or, or am I living in the mountains? Do I sure. am I spending the winter in the plains? You know, like, like these different areas and where my ancestors and myself, you know, like, so it's a, it's really a mix incorporation. Like it's all intertwined. There's no separation. It's not a black and white story that I can tell and say, this is from my ancestor ancestral lineage. And this is from my life or like, this is from, this is, you know, what me. And then this is from my ancestors life. Like it's all intertwined and intercorrelated. So, so much interwoven that um, really it's hard to define the lines. Um, But yeah, like I was saying, everything comes from our environment so much that, you know, even our designs down to the geometrics, you wouldn't even think it has anything to do with an element from this from this earth but here you know like our designs they all have different meanings for the different things in our ecosystems it could be a mushroom or it could be a flower and you know but it's a geometric shape too um and so really it's just i i guess it does take a little bit of a trained eye to start seeing the differences between tribes designs and how they start to shift and change style but like I said I've been doing it my whole life and so I I you know I create my designs are Shoshone Bannock and my designs are Blackfeet and that's because that's who I am sure so yeah and because those are infused in your art one could say that um, your art is continuing your tribe's traditions because it's it's one way to express that and to tell the story right yeah yes and that's something that's important too is the story right right um and you know that's something that i'm always trying to make sure an element that i'm trying to make sure is there is that there's a storyline behind it that there's a meaning behind what i'm creating but going back to you know I want my art to have relevance. And when I say relevance, you you know, I want to have meaning on a storyline. It should, you know, carry something, something special with it that, you know, is, will, comes from my experiences. So, yeah. So that makes me think then, what techniques are you using to create your art? Are those new techniques um, of a young artist or are you utilizing the techniques of your ancestors? Mm, you know, I do use um, acrylic paints from Michael's. So <laughs> I guess <laughs> <laughs> there is some there is some newness to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I, I can't I can't say too much about, um, oh, you know, the, the I guess the techniques that would be very much different. You know, I think with like with a lot of with everything else, you know, uh, just the evolution of the way we do things, um, I'm, you know, e- even going into digital art, right. I, I'm finding myself doing so much more digital art now that it's that it's I don't know, I enjoy it. But um, yeah, so there's, you know, there the colors and marking styles i guess are what would stay are something that will stay throughout generations for forever hopefully but you know the way that we do them like i can do it on my ipad now is the different part (laughs) so So it's it's really (laughs) it's a combination really a hybrid of those distinct styles and unique designs of your tribe that have always been there in a new way or with new technology or or with with new acrylic paint for that matter but it's a combination of the two that actually then create the art 
Would that yeah, be correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have to ask you, Willow, for a, a, an artist that is as creative as you are, what was this last year like, this COVID year for you as an artist? Mm, that's a good question. And, you know, I'll just be brutally honest about about everything. Sure, um, please do. And so I was teaching last year, 2019 to 2020. Let's see, at the end of 2019, all the way through 2020. And then, um, oh, yeah, just at, till the end of 2020. And um, I was teaching, I just had my baby in February of 2020, right before everything really shut down. Um, and I also had previously just lost my dad in May of 2020. Uh, and so I kind of, you know, I have had a lot of life changing events happen really close to each other. Um, previously, I was making a lot of art. Um, I was really doing a lot of beadwork, actually. And but throughout 2020, you know, it's just this like this last year just feels like it's already been so long um, in terms of events and everything. I would say my art practicing got put off just just a little bit. Um and, you know, kept getting put off a little bit here and there. But, you know, I don't know. And I, I wasn't, I didn't have a whole lot of motivation and a whole lot of just will to, to want to create anything. And I think that was just my stages of mourning sure. and, you know, sure. a lot of the other stuff that was happening. But um, I, I have been creating a lot more lately. And I mentioned before that I'm, in school at IAIA, which is the Institute of American Indian Arts. And I'm really, really, I'm, I love taking classes. So it's been through online just this last year and a half or last year. And, but even though the classes have been online and it seems like it would be a really big burden to have to be in school working, you know, being a full-time mom and grieving in the sense that, you know, or yeah, well, not in a sense, I was grieving. And so I had all of that going on, but I'm really, really glad that I was in school because I've, it's kept my art practice going and it's kept me creating um, different art for classes. Like I've been able to come at my art practice in a way that I haven't been able to before just through um, really accelerating my other skill practices, like being able to actually take photographs of my art, which was super important to look this last year because everything went online and everything's been digital. Right. And so knowing how to properly take photographs of my art and capture, you know, what, how I want it to, what I want to be captured um, is really important. And so that has, you know, been really awesome. Um, just the other, the other classes and stuff has have really been doing a lot of fine tuning in my technique. And honestly, I can see myself as an artist right now because I'm growing. I can see my shift, uh, a shift happening, I could say. And it's a shift um, going into going into more of painting, I would say some yeah, painting and um, painting. I've been painting on a lot of rawhide lately, which is something I've never done before. And so those are new new pieces that i i'm working with and i'm really loving the way they're turning out and i'm really loving how they're what's becoming of it i can already see it as like a series happening and these pieces aren't they're not dedicated to anywhere you know they're not spoken for um unless i did create one piece of my late aunt and my my aunt and my great aunt and um so I, I specifically created that one for somebody special but you know all the other pieces I've been working with it's becoming a series of unspoken for art right now and I kind of feel like I'm hoarding them because I haven't <laughs> shown or really talked showed any or told anybody about them but <laughs> now everybody's gonna know I guess that's right <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's so but, interesting yeah, to there. It's so interesting, Willow, to listen to your journey as an artist. And when we started out today, you said, you know, 
I, it actually all started with music and dance and having been a dancer and making regalia for for powwows and 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 then from there it went to ledger art and and then to morals and now you're saying i just recently painted for the first time on rawhide and this is something new to me that i'm finding my my way in and i i find this so fascinating to to really hear those steps that you have gone through and and no doubt in uh this podcast um the listener will have learned a lot about willow kip as an artist but what would you like our listeners to know about yourself that we have not discussed yet is there anything that you would say oh i'd like to mention this and and we haven't we haven't gotten to it yet what would that be yeah that's a really good question um something that um, beyond with being an artist and just my life in general i take a lot of pride in my work my my work as working with buffalo and working with the environment and the ecology and really trying to just better the landscape because this is this is my home you know and this isn't just my home for one since my lifetime and my parents lifetime it's been my ancestral home for generations beyond my count and so it's really really important for me as a person to you know leave not just a footprint that's going to um cause any harm to this environment but you know leave something behind for my children and my grandchildren and my great great grandchildren you know that's something that they can look back look back with look back on and you know know that their grandmother and their all of their ancestors before them as well have been in this landscape in this environment and that it's still going to be here and intact that's that's super important for me is to leave an environment, leave, an, leave a home that's going to be intact and take care of my children, just like I'm being taken care of. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's one thing that if I could, you know, my work, I work as the Buffalo, Buffalo um, program coordinator for the Blackfeet tribe currently. And my work with that is, is never ending. It's, never ending important, I should say. And so, and that's my way of, you know, really trying to um, leave, leave a space that's, you know, intact and beautiful for my children and all my grandchildren after that. Right. Um, and yours as well, you know, like I want that for all of our children, all our grandchildren. And that's something that I want to just keep going and leave intact. So, yeah, I guess that would be the most important thing for me. Well, and I really appreciate that because we we hadn't touched on that uh, this last hour. And so mm -hmm. I'm glad you're mentioning this because that uniquely connects you as an artist to the prairie's ecological growth and uh, biodiversity and a lot of other very important topics that one would not necessarily think of uh, thinking of an artist creating art. So I think that's right, really exactly. important for people to 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 know that about you because I, and I don't I don't actually know much about uh, the project. If you would like to give us a little bit of of background uh, about the Buffalo program, um, I think that would be um, very interesting and important for um, for people to know. Yeah. So the Buffalo program um, is here on the Blackfeet on the Blackfeet, um, in, within the Blackfeet Nation, it's actually a Confederacy thing. Um, we, it's just man, right now that what I do is I'm the program coordinator. So, you know, I help plan events and um, connect people who want to get in touch with what we're doing, where, where our Buffalo came from. So something that's really special about our Buffalo though, is our Buffalo, they're called the Elk Island Herd. They are special special I can't say this enough um, they really are special because their bloodline has is a strain that 
I guess, got saved and put um, in the early 1800s when the buffalo slaughter slaughtering was happening and bu the buffalo population got diminished all almost almost to nothing. Um, and so there was a few buffalo, though, that managed to live out on this island called Elk Island, and it's located in Canada. They managed to stay out there on this in that area in the Elk Island area. And a few years ago, when the Blackfeet tribe and my boss, um, Irvin Carlson, were was trying to get the get the um, get it space re reopened up for the buffalo, they the Elk Island people that managed that herd there they reached out and they let us know and that that there is a herd of buffalo that originally are from this area but have been living over there in the elk island for a few generations now um and they wanted to know if there was going to be any space available to bring them home and um it was you know, just a really crazy timing because um, the Buffalo program and my boss, Irvin, was just getting everything going. This was before I was working with the program. They were just getting everything going to get the space available to get Buffalo. But here, you know, there was a herd just right on the other side of the border that are originally from here that we could bring home and they were more than willing to bring them you know help us bring them home and so that's what happened they you know in 2000 and I want to say 14 but don't quote me on that one <laughs> but okay. 2000 yeah in the and anyways they brought them home and they and that, and they brought them back to the AMS Ranch, which is um, an area on the Blackfeet Reservation. It's called, um, the, yeah, they call it the AMS Ranch. And then um, now they ha we have an area down there on the AMS, which is located on the Two Medicine River, and then another spot. Um, which is the Smith Ranch, located in just right out off of Highway 89, and their summer grazing pasture, which is going to be in East Glacier. Um, all of those spots are reclaimed now for the buffalo to be able to have roaming range and grazing range. And we're continuously working to expand that, expand their grazing area and expand, you know, just because they really are keystone species to this landscape. And I can't say that enough either. You know, there's just, I could go on forever about buffalo and how amazing they are for the environment and what they do for the landscape and why we need them here. But, um, you know, I'll keep it short. And so, yeah, that's, that's part of what our program does. And there's also, um, there's a, another there's the um intertribal buffalo council which is all of the tribes in the in the u.s who are in the northern region who have buffalo on their reservations they are a part of the intertribal buffalo council and so like like i mentioned before um i'm from fort hall too and so fort hall we have a buffalo herd and so we have members from um whoever you know whoever manages the buffalo herd there they're a part of the intertribal buffalo council and so like it's really all intertwined and it really is um like really interconnected like that but you know it's really good work because it's work that needs that's you know helping to try and keep try to keep our environment intact and trying to you know leaves um create spaces that you know I don't want to say bringing them back to how they used to look, but in a sense, it's, you know, we're, we're trying to expand spaces and create more space for animals that have been in this environment before. And so, um, you know, I guess I could use the term, we're trying to bring Buffalo home everywhere. Right. And, but for the Blackfeet tribe, you know, that's where, what we're really doing is just trying to outreach it to our community and getting our expansion range for them in this area. And so and that's, you know, um, it happens on so many levels, on the, res on the tribal level, on the state level, and on the federal level. And so there's, you know, those different levels that we're dealing with, all, all of them. And yeah, it, it, there's a lot to it, but it's, it's good stuff. But it's very important work to to restore the, the prairie's ecological growth and 
and to enhance biodiversity and to and and if that can be done by bringing the bison uh the buffalo home um to their land where they used to be roaming on i think that's uh that's a a, a wonderful um project to be involved in and and i'm continuously amazed knowing that you are already busy as an artist that you're also passionate for uh for this project so that's just i mean brings me to my last question willow and that is you are the mother of a young child you said um uh that uh you became a mother last year and uh-huh. so uh, you you are you are dealing with all of that you somehow you're somehow making this all work being a mother being an artist being being a um a person that that is interested in in restoring natural habitat for uh, a very important animal for in native american history how does your family inspire you as an artist yeah so that's you know really important that's an important way of looking at it um honestly the way i have to look at everything and the way i have to go about managing everything that's on my plate is just not drawing any lines between any of it you know my work as with the buffalo program my work as a mom my work as an artist um all of that is interconnected and i i don't really see any lines you know separating all of that work you know um with buffalo program we do we when we have events like we're having any days come up any means buffalo and blackfeet um we're having any days come up you know my my baby can be a part of that my child that's for the kids to come sure. to come and join and um do a buffalo reenactment and you know the harvesting of a of a buffalo and stuff you know i can have my baby oh my <laughs> he's awake now but um speaking of baby <laughs> yeah he heard his name um no that so that that work there you know i just i can't draw lines between it because that's the only way i can get anything done <laughs> but it really does luckily i feel like there's a lot of um interchangeable parts you know sure. like i was mentioning earlier with the designs coming from our my home the land itself you know I do buffalo restoration which is in the land itself you know my kid my baby my son he's going to be connected to the land just as much and so all of that you know just works out in a way that just connects us more to our environment and all of that so you're not seeing these things as separate entities you're seeing this as something that's highly interconnected and and where one benefits the other or one feeds off of the other part of life. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. Well, Willow, thank you so much for your time. See, that hour went by pretty fast. Um, <laughs> it it's it's now uh it's now almost six o'clock. We're just a few minutes shy of of six o'clock. And and it's always like that. Um and I always say this, you know, you you kind of think of a podcast, an hour-long podcast. And you go, wow, an hour is long. But when you talk to interesting people, um, it goes by quickly because there's lots to talk about. And so I had no doubt that we would fill the hour and we did. And I I can't thank you enough for knowing how busy you are, that you found time to uh, talk to me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Udo. I enjoy talking to you and I hope you and your family are doing good and well and all of that. Thank we you can't for complain. asking me to talk on here. Yes, absolutely. That was my pleasure, Willow, and and um, all the best to to you and your family as well. And um, good luck with your projects. And I look forward to uh, seeing more art that is made by Willow Kip. Thank you, Udo. Thank you, Willow Kip, for your time and for sharing your passion for art and your fascinating and diverse journey as a Native American artist and environmental researcher. To the listeners near and far, please join me again next month when I will complete this three-part series on creativity during COVID for my conversations with Missoula-based artist Larry Perney, who has delighted local audiences and international art connoisseurs with his highly colorful Western art paintings. 
through my own podcast, I have become more aware of other podcasts. And I wanted you all to know that there is a new podcast out featuring Montana musicians. A Rhythm Run Through It is a music performance and interview series recorded and produced live that features Montana musicians. Episodes are out monthly, but you can check out the first four episodes now wherever you stream your podcasts or on their website, arhythmrunsthroughit.com. A Rhythm Runs Through It is a fiscally sponsored arts Missoula project and in partnership with the Montana Area Music Association. Please give it a listen and let the folks at the pod know how they did by rate, reviewing, and subscribing. As always, thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Dankeschön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and the Trail, 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and the trail, 1033.com. If your interests are in global and intercultural education, programming, cultural and global competence and international affairs, we hope you continue to listen to International Voices. 